Welcome back to Healthy Perspectives, a podcast dedicated to patients, healthcare, innovation, and technology. I'm your host, Kate Rubin. Technology sustained us through the pandemic last year, and now, more than halfway through 2021, we are seeing the lasting effect of the COVID-19 digital transformation. On this episode, we explore trends that are shaping our future and redefining life, virtual and real, as we know it. I got to chat with two people that are particularly close to the subject. John Dealey, EVP, Director of Digital Experience, and Patrick Lipinski, SVP, Associate Creative Director of Social. Let's get started. So excited to welcome in the virtual podcast booth, the lovely John Dealey and Patrick Lipinski. Hey there. Great to be back. Hey, Kate. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We had you both on the podcast uh, before to discuss trends in the digital and social space. And I think that there is a lot to unpack since we last spoke. I think it was last year. Yeah. Time flies. (laughs) It does. So I wanted to talk about, you know, some of the technology that we used passively uh, pre-COVID played a much more active role during the pandemic and beyond. So curious to get your thoughts, how you think this is going to shape the technology of tomorrow and how we can use it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think, you know, the adoption of so many digital technologies have increased like so rapidly during the pandemic. Um, I think probably the most obvious example for me would be video conferencing, right? So my mom, for example, is now a a whiz in, you know, using Zoom, FaceTime, and I think even in Teams or, you know, WebEx, maybe, who knows? Um, But I think, you know, using that and like thinking about that, that really opens the door for us to tap into technologies that may have been out of reach, you know, for many audiences previously. So I think that's a, you know, an exciting uh, silver lining, if you will. Yeah, I, I definitely think, um, you know, because we weren't really able to get close physically, right, during like the height of the pandemic, we really turned to like all this tech. I think like for me specifically, like social media, right, like just to stay closer to one another. Um, I think I read a stat where, you know, digital consumption or digital use was up like 15% from like 2019 and 2020. So I just feel like, you know, we've gotten way more comfortable using these tools that, you know, we may have passively used them. Now it's like, now they're like a necessity almost just to like stay in touch with one another. So I, I, I just think it's personally, I, I'm just selfishly like really excited about it because it's like the space that I love to operate in. So uh, I think it's just a, a cool thing to experience and be a part of. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that we tuned into tech way more in the past year and we, we really, st- we still are. Um, so during COVID and really now in this present moment, Curious how, since we were so active on social, on digital platforms, how did COVID help speed up and transform those types of tech? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I've been seeing is that tech companies have shifted their priorities in, in, in many ways to meet the new consumer needs. So, you know, Apple, for example, you know, I'm a big Apple nerd. I'm part of their their, their beta uh, team. But like, they're about to roll out a number of new features on iOS this fall that make remote connection and collaboration way more seamless and just integrated into 
you know, again, their, their platform. So for example, um, they're rolling out this thing called SharePlay, which lets you sync up videos and whether it's music or, or, or videos, uh, movies or music, uh, with people over FaceTime miles away. So, you know, I could be connecting and catching up virtually over FaceTime, but we could be watching or listening to the, to something at the same time. So, you know, I, I think again, technology companies have shifted their roadmaps and their priorities to, to meet this sort of new remote and, and hybrid world that, that, that we're living in. Yeah, it's actually so love that you use the word hybrid because I feel like we've been we've been seeing the word hybrid when it comes to the future of work and school environments and would love for you to maybe extrapolate a little bit more on hybrid technologies that you're starting to see in this space too. Yeah, I mean, for me, like I've been following the, the remote collaboration space. Uh, I know Patrick as well. You know, so big big companies like Facebook and Oculus, and even smaller ones like uh, Spatial.io, um, they have products and platforms around remote collaboration. You know, uh, primarily like in the VR space. So if you have a headset, you are able to connect with someone and, and have that sort of telepresence, right? Um, but what's interesting is both of them are also equally working on multi-device aspect of that. So to make it more inclusive of people who may not have headsets, you know, for example, in spatial, which is remote collaboration, if Patrick and I, you know, we often meet in one for one-on-ones in VR, you know, since the pandemic, um, we could be in the same virtual room together. But let's just say we were bringing you into the meeting, Kate, and you didn't have a VR headset. You could log in via your mobile device or your laptop. So I think um, to me, that's like a great expression. And I think a a promise for where this technology is going to evolve to, to allow us to have this sense of presence, even when we can't physically be together, um, but to accommodate for, for people in all different, you know, scenarios, whether it's live or remote or whatever device that they're choosing to to join in from. I'm curious, kind of from more of a, emotional standpoint. I mean, this all sounds very cool and innovative, but, you know, how, how do we bring that joy from the real world to the screen? <laughs> I mean, how do you find joy from, you know, the, the, the tech that you're using? Curious to get Patrick's perspective on this one. You know, I do. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really interesting and it may not necessarily answer this question specifically, but, um, I think like given that we were all kind of like stuck inside, right? Like we all kind of became more comfortable showing a more vulnerable and even more boring aspect of our lives, like sharing on social media, right? Like you'd always reserve um, those really great moments, those glossy moments, right? To kind of like brag about how great life is. But then like no one really was able to to partake in those uh, events, I guess, like the last year or so. And so I think we've gotten a lot more comfortable showing like, you know, the, the sadder sides to life and that's okay. Right. Like it kind of created like a more connected experience with all of us. Cause we all realized we were all experiencing that. And I think what coming out of this, um, I think a lot of people have become more comfortable, um, showing like those more real moments. And I've seen even like, you know, this is my old millennial geriatric perspective, but, uh, seeing like the younger kids on social media, not even post like those glossy photos anymore. It's just kind of like a photo dump of, yeah, here was my average weekend. You know, and, and I, I love that because that's like an accurate, real representation of life um, that we 
we're kind of not really seeing before that. So, you know, a little silver lining there. Definitely. I mean, I think we all sort of experience that collective FOMO, or for those that don't know what that means, a uh, fear of missing out. So it was a year where we all missed out and we all were able to kind of strangely rally behind that, that thought of, well, we're home. Uh, you know, maybe we can make something out of this. And actually that leads me to another question. You know, I, I feel like, um, Patrick, you had mentioned that digital consumption was up quite a bit in 2020 versus 2019. Um, really last year was probably the most digital year of all of our lives. Um, and from that, as you just mentioned, people were itching to connect and share the the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and from that came this user generated content or what we call UGC in the biz. Um, and while UGC has been around for quite some time, can you share how it really took off during COVID? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, before agencies and marketers were actually able to really get off the ground, like those remote shoots, um, UGC and their community was really the only way for us to really collect content. Um, and it was really great to see, like, it just kind of threw it all into hyperdrive, right? So there's this amazing shared experience that came through across a lot of our advertising because it was basically created by the community and the people, right? It almost felt um, like a more genuinely connected time. Um, and, and I think as a result, it's gotten people more comfortable and marketers and, and clients more comfortable with the less polished, the less produced um, type of content, right? Because it does, it does come across a little bit more authentic. Um, yeah. And so I, and I think especially within like the healthcare space, that's, that's, that's huge. You know, I think gone are the days, hopefully of, of a lot of stock photos and stock videos, right. That really just feel very um, generic and, and don't really have much soul or emotion behind them. You know, I, I'd love seeing, real people, real smiles, real faces, you know, like the real issues that people go through. Cause I feel like that's way more relatable than anything found on some of our, our in stock footage, for example. So, um, yeah, I, I think like it's just thrown it into hyperdrive and it was really the only thing that we could really rely on. Right. Cause we have these, these, uh, amazing cameras with our phones. Um, we have all the software now on our, on our computers. Right. So anybody can be a creator if they really want, want to become that. So, um, I think it, it was it was a great experience there. Yeah, and I, I think that you know we we've really advocated for UGC content you know for so many years now for all the reasons that, that Patrick just mentioned. But I, I think it's also uh, exciting and interesting to think about how much easier it's gotten to collect UGC content. You know, um, you know not only just the mobile phones that are sitting in, in all of our pockets, but just some of the tools that allow us to to capture and, and share it, it's really um, made the process of, of gathering, you know, a lot easier too. So I, I think there's a lot of, it's, it's a win-win on so many fronts from, from the authenticity front of, of how we present ourselves to brands, but also, you know, just in the speed of, of getting that content um, to keep up, especially in the social space where we're, you know, constantly looking forward to create new, new content to share out. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it in the lens of healthcare, um, you know, our, our health is really the most social product that we have, you know, when we're sick, we talk about it, we look to each other for guidance and support. I'm wondering, you know, putting on my healthcare hat here, how, how can healthcare marketers maybe bake more of a social mentality into the work uh, that they do to further connect with patients? And maybe it is incorporating more 
user-generated content, but would love to get your thoughts of steps that marketers can take there. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, at Patients and Purpose, we already do a lot of digging into social listening right before we do anything. And I feel like that's just just accurately reflecting what the conversation is, what are the needs, what are some of the, you know, things that are happening in the space that would influence any of our content. But I think also what we also what we build in is with our community managers, you know, we do have these deeper insights with our um, community where we do mine all the themes and trends that are happening in real time, right? Because that's something that I feel like a lot of brands and, and maybe even te- creative teams don't get a feel for is like the actual people that are going through some of the um, conditions that we're creating content and, and advertising for. And I think baking all that into everything that we do from like the brief stage to the content creation stage to optimizing our content or even just like answering certain questions, I feel like it brings a level of, of real humanity to the work that we do. Um, you know, to Kate, to your point, I mean, like, yeah, health is definitely the most social product that we have. So I think just making sure that we're answering those questions, those needs that people actually are having um, with the work that we're developing, I think it's the most human thing that we can actually do, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. I mean, and as somebody who community manages, I it always is a two-way dialogue, um, or it should be, uh, when you have a community where, you know, comments are enabled and you're able to really start to keep your finger on the pulse of what people are talking about. And if you really want to walk the walk, you're going to need to talk the talk too. So being able to do those community insights where you're pulling out comment themes, sentiments, what people are talking about and how you can build value off of that um, is just very, very critical. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, from a marketing standpoint, it's easy to um, think about this stuff in a silo, right? And think of like, oh, we need to create UGC content and, and push it out in our social properties and then like call it a day. But I, I think, you know, it's been, you know, really exciting to see around the agency teams um, taking that approach to creating that really authentic content and even different uh, aspects of like what you would consider more social content, but incorporating that into brand videos or on the dot com or in within other channels too. So I think, you know, the best channels, uh, sort of the best examples are, are when you're, you're really thinking social beyond the platform. Right, exactly. And actually, that makes me think about new platforms. Something interesting, I feel like happened during the pandemic, because we were so isolated, we, st- we kind of saw social elements appearing in places and platforms that weren't inherently social. So I'm thinking gaming, audio, even money, um, social was everywhere. Um, Can you both speak to this phenomenon? So there's a newish buzzword floating around and it's called social plus. Um, And it's basically when companies really take a single category from gaming, like you mentioned, to to music, to e-commerce, and really build that like integrated social experience around it. So you know, for example, Venmo, right, has a social feed built into it. And, and it's it's kind of hilarious just to like read what people are like sending money back and forth for. Um, or even Fortnite, right, where the game's magic is, is really purely centered around it being a social experience. And that could be played across like every platform. So you're not just tied to one specific console. Um, and, I, and I think like that's just popping up every, everywhere where we, where we realize that we have all these tools where we can actually like connect with one another and, and we're social creatures to begin with. So I think it's just finding those opportunities to like bake that, that 
component into it, I think is just, it's such an awesome experience and it breaks you out of what we consider to be traditional social, right? Like the Facebooks, the Instagrams of the world, um, you know, where like a feed may be integrated into these other platforms, but it kind of goes beyond and it's a little bit more specific to that, that experience versus it just being like an all in social platform, for example. Yeah. I mean, it's great seeing social evolve. It's great seeing things like a traditional space, like audio become, you know, with the rise of clubhouse with Twitter spaces where voice is now, it's always been a very intimate. I mean, as we're talking right now on a a audio platform, um, it is a source of intimacy and it's just a wonderful way to kind of, you know, get that word out. Um, but it's great to see how it's being tied back to social to give it more of that interactivity, you know, that kind of thing. I think the, the, the live sort of social audio phenomenon, you know, that started with clubhouse is, is really interesting. And, you know, in the beginning, you know, after seeing it all over the place, I was like, what is this all about? And I kind of, you know, went in and was, was, you know, fishing around it. And I guess for folks that haven't really gone onto Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or any of those, you know, I think of it as kind of like an audio only chat room or a forum kind of mashed together with like a live podcast kind of feel. So, um, you know, it feels something, it feels new, but it also feels, you know, kind of old at the same time. But I think it's, um, it, it's a really interesting sort of channel, sort of mashup, if you will, you know, and I think audio opens the door to, you know, kind of hitting deeper and, and differently than other other channels, right? So I think it, it it really, you know, the audio experience takes you in, you know, completely. And, you know, I think the human voice and hearing that perspective, um, you know, adds a level of authenticity and, and human connection too. So I think that coupled with, you know, even just the screen time fatigue that everyone ex- has experienced before the pandemic, you know, during and even now, um, you know, audio gives you a nice sort of break away from, from the screen, you know, and allowing you to still consume and, and get some of the content that you're interested in, but also be a little more, more present uh, in the world. Yeah. Screen fatigue also reminds me of, you know, not trying to get negative here, but there's also with more platforms and with screen fatigue, there's also lots of clutter too. You know, we're, we're sort of being bombarded right now with messages, ads from all of these new platforms. Um, so I'm just wondering how marketers can kind of break free from that and innovate content to combat that clutter. Well, I, I think like the rise of social plus has caused us to like reimagine what social is even is. Right. And I feel like it's a great opportunity for us to think of, well, how do we break out of the newsfeed? You know, is it just about asking questions? You know, is it about like using, you know, ad formats where you can actually engage your audience with polls, you know, or is it going more audio first? I, I remember, um, you know, I, I cook a lot. And, and when I do cook, I usually listen to podcasts because my, my partner is playing video games really loudly. Um, and and I remember John Dealey, you know, you, you started hosting uh, on like Clubhouse and I started just like listening into it because I thought it was like a really interesting like experience, really, really like you know, to your point, like it's very intimate in a way where like you just feel like you're there. It's very informal um, and just kind of like experimenting. I think it's I think experimentation is definitely like critical. Right. It's, especially when things have just changed so much over the last like year and a half, like things just our block and tackle tactics just 
really need to be reimagined. And this is just like such an exciting time where I feel like a lot of people are feeling it, right? And and there are new ways that we can engage with folks and patients, their loved ones. Um, and so I think that for me, it's as an early adopter of like all things, it's it's just very exciting. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I think um, I think it's it's equally about in, engaging and you know tapping into new formats and trying new things. But I also think it's around being mindful of people's limited attention span and desire to sort of get in and get out, right? So I, I think it's about giving, you know, the whoever the end user is more control uh, and getting to the information that they want quicker, right? Because that's what the expectation is everywhere else in their life. So, so why should it be different when they're trying to find health information, right? So, you know, we definitely want to make the content sticky and make them come back, you know, at times and things like that. But sometimes we don't, sometimes we just want to make sure we get our message ap- uh, across to them, you know, quickly in the channel that they're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of living in that world of instant gratification. Um, and also on demand, right? Like everything else on in our lives is on demand. So, I mean, this, the health content should just should follow suit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think Patrick, what you mentioned around experimentation is, is such a critical component of all that too, because, you know, some of these things, while they may not be new technologies are, are very new to um, brands or, or companies and maybe haven't played in the space and, and that's fine and that's good. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, it, it almost sounds a little cliche, but sort of carving out, you know, some space, you know, within our marketing budgets to allow for some of this experimentation and, and some quick learning. Yeah, I, I kind of want to riff on on that thought a little bit more um, because I'm, I know that marketers are looking at all of these different social media platforms. There might be a little bit of uh, maybe confusion, a little overwhelming. You know, ha- can can you share how marketers should look at these this the sort of social media ecosystem and whether it, it is a matter of maybe experimenting with different platforms like. And of, of course, it's a case by case scenario for each marketer. But is there are, are there any words of wisdom that you can share? It's a whopper. <laughs> no. I mean, the possibilities are really endless, right? Like there are so many tools available now from like the main social network from Facebook's to the Twitter's to social plus integrations to your brand's experience and that you can really build out like a custom ecosystem for your brand really based on where your audience is and how they engage. And, you know, one of the, one of our, I guess, like pillars at the agency is, you know, when you start out a social program, like you are for the first couple months to a year or so, like you are experimenting, right? Like you're in the learning phase. Um, and I think that goes to, that applies to every other medium as well that may not have been, you know, experienced before. But I think a lot of it is obviously like data informed, right? Like you want to make sure that the people that you're trying to reach are actually engaged within that space. But that being said, right? Like, creating a, a one-size-fits-all general approach doesn't work anymore, right? Like, there are so many niche audiences within every single type of demographic or patient group, right? So maybe it's trying to figure out, like, maybe I'll, I'll pilot, like, a, a Twitch activation, right, for this specific audience that may have a migraine, you know, and we're, and we're uh, promoting an OTC migraine treatment. Um, may not be, like, you know, a couple million people that you're trying to reach, but it might be the couple thousand that you want to really, like, work toward um, getting that message out there. So, you know, I think pilot piloting programs are really important. Testing and learning is obviously really important. And then kind of like iterating based on those findings. Interesting. Yeah. 
I also think it's it's very easy to get overwhelmed. Like you're you're mentioning, um, there's so many different formats and platforms and you know things to try. But um, I'm not sure if it was Michael Scott or, or Wayne Gretzky that said you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. So nice. I think it's it's easy to sort of like get overwhelmed and just sort of stay down the path you've been. So I think it's better to make some quick attempts, you know, and, and bets on some things and, and see how they work and, you know, either double down on those or, or else try other things down the road. But I think especially with the platforms too, like even just talking with social specifically, there's new opportunities that are constantly evolving and, and we're constantly pushing ourselves and, and our clients to, to tap into those. So again, if you're on Twitter ready and you're doing some, you have an ad presence there, maybe making the leap to a Twitter space, you know, um, program may be an easier sort of lift than jumping into TikTok or something that's new. Um, so I think it's also building on a foundation that you have and, and taking capitalizing on some opportunities there. So would love to know what your favorite social or tech trend that has emerged or maybe evolved this past year and why? I want Patrick to go first because I feel like we may have the same one, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I I feel like we might. Um, so so as John mentioned, we've been doing our one-on-ones since the pandemic in, in virtual reality. And it's been really nice to see how the space has evolved in the last like year and a half from very like rudimentary like avatars that look like like Lego block people, I guess. <laughs> to now where there's one that's a little too creepy because it's trying to be a little too realistic where they literally take a photo of your face and build out this like character that kind of looks like you. Um, you know, but it's been really interesting to see how they've built out like the collaborative tools uh, within VR and, and really just replicating a, a in-person experience. And I remember when we first started doing it, it was, it's gotta be like the first month, right? Of the pandemic. And at that point, you know, the only person that I saw was my partner for like a month or so. And being able to like be in VR with John, it almost felt like we were in the same room, um, which you know, that was just like such a crazy idea that you could like actually replicate that experience through a headset and seeing them, seeing the like Oculus and all the other software providers evolve and, and really build on that over the last like, year and a half has just been like crazy and, and, and how quickly they've been able to do it too. Cause I feel like there's been such a demand. Um, so yeah, I think that that's mine, John. Was that what you were thinking too? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was definitely one for sure. I, I think okay. you know I, I definitely you know I know we've had a bunch of conversations around this, but I think you know it's like a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And then you go from like a picture to a video, and video just becomes like oh more immersive and like so real. You know when you think about communication, like FaceTime, right, or or video conferencing, it's like oh my god, I I feel like I'm having this connection with the person. But the VR experience takes that up about 10 notches where it's like, even though you're looking at someone who's like a cartoon av- avatar, you feel like you're in like a physical space with them. It's, it's really bananas. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the one that, that I've been tracking and, and super interested in is, is a related one. And I think like it's around augmented reality or, or AR, um, you know, which I, I think probably is most associated with social platforms with like, social filters and, and things like that. But um, I think, you know, we're just in the early, early days of the technology, but it's evolved very quickly in the last few years now, allowing us to be able to create these AR experiences on people's mobile devices without having to download an app 
which has been a, a big barrier. So I think um, we're just beginning to see it, but I think it's opening up a lot of amazing opportunities for education and storytelling. Um, and again, really taking advantage of these powerful devices that, that we all walk around with in our, in our pockets. So, but yeah, I mean, we could, we could probably create a, a whole episode just nerding out on, on other tech, but those are... <laughs> this, just out of curiosity, I mean, it, for some reason, this sparked in my, my mind. Um, it's a, obviously a very simple use of tech, but I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on like QR codes with menus and things like that. Like I just, I mean, it, it happened with, you know, the snap of a finger with COVID so that, you know, we wouldn't have to touch menus. And now I was just at a restaurant this past Sunday and, you know, another little QR code that you, you scan with your phone. Are, are you guys loving it? Are you, what are the, what are the thoughts? <laughs> Whenever I see a senior citizen snap a, a, a QR code, I just, I, I chuckle and it, it warms my heart and I see it. And it's like, now it's like a common practice. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think what's great about them is, it, it, again, the quick access, right? It's like you're trying to get somebody to uh, a, a website or a resource quickly. And it's like, instead of trying to make them remember a URL, uh, it just gets them there by just scanning your device very quickly. So I think the the seamless, almost magical nature of them, I think, is something that we're going to see more and more of Um I think the physical representation of them, the design, they're obviously hideous looking. Um, so I think they serve great function. Um, hopefully the standards continue to evolve and they become a little more uh, visually appealing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, uh, I remember doing, so I used to be an art director and I remember back in like maybe 11 years ago or now, now or so, we put our first QR code on a print ad. And this was before the iPhone camera could actually just convert it into a URL. You have to download a separate app. So I remember thinking like, wow, I have to put these instructions next to it for someone to download a third-party app just to scan this thing. And I was like, this is never going to take off. But it was such an exciting time. And it's so nice to see. I was a nice too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and, and I go back and forth, right? Like you're at a restaurant and you want to. Um, you want to almost feel like a real venue because um, everything is so digital these days. But it's there's also something really nice to be able to like, you know, scan it. They can update it really quickly if there's a special or whatnot. Like it's all on the fly. You're reducing, you know, paper uh, waste and whatnot. But um, it's been it's been fascinating seeing it like grow up so quickly and then like change, like you mentioned, like on a dime within like the last year or so, uh, where everybody's exactly. using it. So yeah, I too. Uh remember maybe not so fondly back in the day when QR codes with the, with the apps and this and that. And I remember seeing a QR code in the subway before the subways had Wi-Fi, And I was like, what are you doing? Ultimate fail. Nobody's going to be able to scan this. And it was just like, you knew that there was a whole team that let that, that fly. And I was just, um, I, I was shocked. Uh, but yes, it's, yeah. <laughs> So how can we keep our clients up to speed on the latest, on, on the hottest social and digital trends? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think we try to do that in a number of ways. Most recently, Patrick and I have both uh, have been working on, you know, trend presentations uh, around emerging technologies coming out of COVID and um, on Patrick's side on, on, you know, social trends that are ever evolving and so we're actually in the in the process of roadshowing that now a virtual roadshow, uh, and taking that and sharing that with clients. So so that's that's one immediate way we're we're trying to time it this year around uh, 
you know, knowing a lot of brands are in tactical planning, uh, state of mind, thinking about next year. So we, we try to time uh, a lot of this content around, you know, helping fuel our agency and, and inspire uh, the agency and, and our clients. So that that's that's one immediate way. But we're always available to to, to chat more on, the, on this type of stuff. Awesome. Handy information to know. Well, thank you both so much uh, for sort of allowing us to see inside your digi slash social minds. <laughs> it is always a pleasure. And can't wait to see how these trends sort of unfold and, and grow. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. The pace of digital transformation has accelerated in the wake of COVID-19 with even greater pressure to meet people wherever they are. For marketers, this means prioritizing tech and staying nimble to change as we redefine how we interact. For more information on our social and digital tech trends, follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all your other favorite social platforms. Let me start from the top. Also, can you hear my my dog snoring right now? Oh no, buddy! <laughs> Just adds to the the general. It's the uh, base to the music, you know. <laughs> um, okay.